You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 40. Welcome to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. This is College Success Habits. And today we are going to continue the conversation about emotions um, I've been calling this little three-part series the Winter Doldrums. So go back and check out episode 38 and 39, where I discuss some really amazing stuff that you know I just find that helps me. You know, being able to understand your emotions so that they don't control you, understanding better how your motivate how your emotions motivate you, um, have been the last two. What we're going to discuss today is going to be um, depression and. In a, in a small way, um, suicide prevention, things of that nature, um, I don't have a medical degree. I am not an expert by any stretch of the imagination on suicide prevention or deep medically necessary to heal depression. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. If you are somebody in that much need, reach out. There are people who are willing to help you, and there are people who have a much better handle on how to um, communicate with someone who is in that situation than I do. I have a master practitioner's license in NLP, I've read a ton. I minored in psychology in college. I, I've, I've got a background in the things that I talk about, but not in a background in saving people's lives. So if I want really to put that out there for you, it's a, it's a disclaimer for me because I don't want anyone saying, well, Jesse said this and therefore that is the way to go. I, I care so deeply about people's mental health. My other show from sobriety to recovery, um, you know, talks extensively on mental and emotional, physical and spiritual health. And it's because of what I've been talking about on that show and some of my interactions with some of my listeners um, via Instagram who listen to that show that really had me triggered into thinking this would be a great way to finish this three-part series. Because um, depression, like long-term depression that needs medication and suicide prevention are very hot topics when it comes to the youth of today. And don't think that you guys are any different than the way I was back in the 90s because it was a hot topic then too. It's just now with social media and just the the quickness at which something can go viral, especially if it's negative or bad, it just is it's so much more prominent because more people can talk about it and with mental health being such a hot button issue in our politics especially when it comes to anything associated with gun violence um it it's just it's so much more magnified now and i think it's great that finally this is being paid attention to 
um, it's in the way that it should be, that, that people's mental health is becoming such a focus. Because I do believe that we are an emotionally stunted, emotionally immature society. We have been raised by emotionally immature parents who are raised by emotionally immature parents, and it goes on and on. And it's not just our society. This is happening throughout the world. You can, you can tell, you can see it because of the way people act towards one another, the violence that continues to happen regardless of the fact that we realize that violence against one another is is not helping or serving anyone to the highest good. And that's really what this show is about, is getting you to your highest good so that you can reach your potential. And when it comes to emotions and depression, I remember how much I was suffering in college and how I didn't know how to talk about it. And when I did go to the therapist on campus, how they didn't necessarily know how to communicate with me because they weren't used to the amount of alcohol and drugs I was consuming. And their answer always was, well, just stop doing the alcohol and drugs and everything will be better. But I knew it wouldn't be because I would stop from time to time and it would only get worse. And I talked about this on the show, um, Sobriety to Recovery, last week, is that the problem is when you start to self-medicate, when you take away the medication, you are now forced to actually look at your life. And if your life and the way you looked at it was causing the suffering, was causing the sadness, was causing the depression, then when you take away the alcohol, the drugs, the food, whatever vice it is that you might find yourself uh, you know, just obsessed with, when you take that away, now you're forced to look at your life, which was causing you to want that medicine, and I'm using air quotes here, using that self-medication, it was, you're, now you're forced to look at it. And if you don't have the right tools, if you don't have the right resources to dive into your head and figure out what traumas happened to you as a child, what traumas happened to you as a teenager, what got you where you're at, then taking away the medication without actually coming up with a solution isn't helpful. It's, it's a good first step. But if you don't have a system in place, if you don't have people who are ready to talk you through it, help you open up and find that inside. I, I saw something recently. It was something about how, like, um, about, you know, obviously our healthcare system here is in this country is completely whacked, and all we do is just feed people medication in order to hide the symptoms, but we don't actually get at the disease, right? And it, it's... It's what happens with our mental health when we over-prescribe medications, when we over-drink, when we over-drug, because we're trying to just cover up the symptoms instead of actually getting at the the disease, the, 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 the problem that's inside of us. And so this episode is going to be hopefully a bridge for you to realize that there are resources out there, and it's, it's going to be up to you to locate the ones that work best for you. You know, in in college, I didn't think that those therapists that I talked to had a background in what I was dealing with well enough that they could actually communicate with me, that they could understand what I was going through. It was not easy for me to go through college dealing with the sadness and the, and the depression that I was because I didn't feel like I could find anyone to talk to. And when I did, I didn't feel a connection with them. And so I just continued to medicate. It actually wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles in my early 30s that I found someone who could communicate with me and connect with me on a level that actually helped me move past some 
Not all, because I didn't quit drinking and doing drugs, but at least I began to unearth the suffering. And oddly enough, um, it was actually at the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center here in Hollywood, California. And um, at the time, I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, a lot of my social circle was was homosexual, either gay or lesbian. And when I would talk to them about the suffering and the pain and, and just wanting to talk to somebody who could connect with me, they kept recommending this center. Now, while I'm not gay, what matters to them is mental health. So it didn't matter that I wasn't gay. They didn't care. I told them that when I walked in and they were like, you need to see a therapist, right? That's why you walked in the door. That's what we're going to do for you. I had no money. They they hooked me up with a pretty sweet deal. It was like $25 a session. I'll never forget this woman. Her name was Annabelle. I even named my first motorcycle after her because that motorcycle was going to get me to places I had never been. But that was the whole idea behind buying that motorcycle is it was going to take me to places I had never been. And Annabelle helped me move through and get through places inside of myself that I had never been. She helped me grow in a way that I did not know was possible. And I really knew that this was the place for me to connect with a therapist because at the LGBT, back then, now I think there's a Q, um, at the LGBTQ Center, um, they're used to dealing with some pretty pretty wicked issues. Um, a lot of people go in there having lived on the street, having been kicked out of their home, having gone through a lot of stuff. And so when I walk in and I'm talking to them about hallucinogenics and cocaine and ketamine and, and tons of alcohol, it doesn't even phase them. They, they know exactly why I was doing all of that stuff. And they were able to dive directly into me and say, okay, this is what we need to unearth. Let's start going back over what happened to you and unearthing this trauma. Because see, it's, it's up to you to heal yourself. The best way to get out of a depressive state you know, and this this is something now when I when I get ready to say this, what's important to understand is that this is my opinion, that there are lots of opinions, but this is what's helped me. This is what I've seen help other people. And so therefore I'm I'm gonna say it, but don't think that this is definitive by any stretch of the imagination. There are a lot of other people who will say a lot of different things. But for me, the way I believe it is the best way to get out of a depressive state is to get out of your head. Get out of your head because when you're sitting there, listen to your sad songs in the dark with a bottle of bourbon or a slice of pizza or some cake or whatever your vice of choice is, when you're sitting there in your head just circling around this thought that nobody loves me, I'm not good enough, I'm too ugly, I'm not rich enough, whatever it is that you, you just latch on to and then you begin to spiral and it's like a drain. You know, it's picture a, a, a bathtub drain. Once you get into this spiral, its centrifugal force just continues to pull you down deeper and deeper. And, it, and when, when you stay in your head and you just spiral on one of these negative thoughts, and I get that if you've got years of spiraling on this negative thought, it's not going to be as easily as just grabbing the hold of, of the side of the tub and pulling yourself out. Right? There's going to be a lot of work there. But when you're stuck inside of your head, that is not a good place to be. I spent 22 years there, drinking my, my, drinking my sorrows away, but doing no healing. So when you're in this depressive state, get out of your head. 
Get out of your room. Get out of your dorm. Get out of your apartment. Get out of the cocoon that you have gotten yourself into that is protecting you from whatever you think is trying to attack you. Go outside. Be a part of civilization. Be a part of your social circle. Go help someone. Be a person of service. Because there's only one person that can help you out of the abyss you have placed yourself in, and that is you. I get that people will say, well, this per you know, and, and so that's that's my little that's my little that that's that's my little thing I wrote up in my show notes. The best way to get out of a depressive state is to get out of your head, get out of your room, get out of your dorm, your apartment, your cocoon, go outside, be a part of civilization, be a part of your social circle, go help someone, be of service, because there is only one person that can help you out of the abyss you have placed yourself in, and that is you. Now, let's break that down a little bit because some people will say, well, what do you mean I've placed myself in this abyss? My mom did this. My dad did this. My ex-boyfriend, my ex-girlfriend did this. My best friend did this. My politicians did this. The earth did this. The universe did this to me. That's, that's being a person who you're a victim. You're playing the victim card. And I'm not saying that bad things haven't happened to you. Bad things have happened to me. Bad things have happened to my roommates. Bad, bad things happen to us. It's not a matter of why do bad things happen to good people. Why don't bad things happen to bad people? Most people inside their own heads think they're a good person. Think of any politician right now that you don't like, and that person probably thinks they're a good person. Everybody's doing the best they can with the resources they have. Their actions are meant to give them a positive outcome. If nothing else, the actions they do will give them a positive outcome. They may not care if it gives anybody else a positive outcome, but it's meant to give them a positive outcome. The actions you do, the things that you do, you do those things for a positive outcome. You might say, well, I volunteer at a a homeless shelter. How is that a positive outcome for me? I'm doing this for them, and and I'm I'm helping feed the homeless and and clothe the homeless, and I'm doing these great things for them. That's for them. I'm a member of service. That is correct. You are a person of service. Thank you for being a member of service. Thank you for going and doing those things. But you're still doing it for a positive experience for yourself. You get to walk away and feel positive about how you are a member of the human race, about how you are doing things of service. You are out there helping people, right? I get an amazing sense of satisfaction from putting on the two podcasts that I do because I've gotten responses back. I know that I'm helping people. I've certainly gotten some feedback where people think, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Why don't you, you know, you should go off and have this degree and do this. And I'm like, you know what? You go do that then. I'm being a member of service the way I'm doing it. And it does give me a great sense of satisfaction. And even whenever I'm exhausted, I make sure that on a Sunday night, when this, is, when this show should have been posted Friday morning, that I'm still getting it out because it matters to me that there are people out there who enjoy this show and depend on this show for some knowledge to help them move forward. You can do that too. And if you get yourself out of the victim mentality and step into being a person of service, 
Like there, bad things will have happened to you. And if they haven't, something, if you think in your head, well, nothing really horrible has happened to me. I haven't done this, this, and this hasn't happened to me. And that this has never happened to me. Whatever's happened to you that's made you sad, that's gotten you into depression. And the longer this sadness and depression go, the more it becomes long-term and the more you begin to attach your identity to it. It doesn't discount what you've gone through just because you hear somebody else's story is worse. I have gone to many a addiction recovery meeting and heard some people with some stories and I'm like, wow, wow. I am really glad I didn't have to go through that, right? Like I didn't get addicted to crystal meth. I never, I never tried crystal meth. I never tried heroin, never tried crack. Like none of these things ever became a part of my life. And I hear some of these stories and I'm like, sweet mother, Wow, thank you, thank you for still being alive and being here to share that. Wow, did I learn something from that, right? Get, uh, get out, I got out of my head, I got out of my cocoon, and I went out there and I started listening to other people's stories, and it didn't make my, my experiences any less. It made me grateful. It made, it made me have gratitude for my life. It made me humble for the fact that I could still even be here, let alone sharing these stories. I should have died at the beginning of 2017 because of my addiction. And for a lot of you, you are just beginning to show signs of this addictive behavior. One of the reasons I started this podcast is because I, I remember thinking, man, I'm not sure I would have listened at 18 to 22 or 18 to 25 or even in my early 30s. I'm not sure I'd have listened to somebody like me, but I would have loved to have known this information was out there for me to listen to. Maybe 1% of what I say will get through and will ha- will have you see something a different way. will have you experience your life in a different way. And that 1% will get you to go off and do something else. And you start adding up those 1% and before you know it, you've got a completely different mindset. Because, and again, I get that some of this depression, anxiety, I certainly if you're into, if you're certainly if your brain and your life have already moved you towards where suicide is, is an actual thought, I get that that exists. Go seek medical attention, get medication. At the same time, listen to this: when you attach your identity to this sadness, to this depressed state, when you being like that becomes a part of your identity, then what will occur when you go through and and then you suffer this long-term depression for so many years, right? You've attached it to your identity. What will happen when you actually go off and let's say you go to an amusement park and you have a good time. Let's say you have a birthday and everybody celebrates you and you laugh and you, and you enjoy it and you walk away. But yet you've attached sadness and depression as a main, main part of your identity. And then, then you experience happiness. You experience joy, right? How will you actually internalize that? Well, you think, wow, okay, I can experience that. I didn't even know that that was possible. I should try to find times when I can do that more often. Or will you turn it back on itself and say, well, those people only did all that because they felt obligated because it was my birthday. Those people only did all that because they felt obligated because I graduated high school. They only felt like that because they were obligated because I graduated college. No one's obligated to do a damn thing. People choose to. People choose to show you love. People desire to show you that you're important. If you get locked in on this, I'm not good enough, nobody loves me, I'm ugly, I'm poor, I'm whatever it is that you get yourself spiraling around, right? You're the one choosing that. Somewhere out there on this planet, there will be people who think that you are the most beautiful entity on the planet. 
Somebody will somebody won't care about the kind of finances you have. And if you are someone who the society has already deemed as beautiful, and then you feel that you're just being used and abused for that beauty, and then you lock in on that. You see, this is how Robin Williams and um, Anthony Bourdain, these people who have everything, you think these people have everything, and yet that they can still be locked into such a deep depression that they ultimately commit suicide. It doesn't matter about your looks. It doesn't matter about your wealth, your, your, your society, prestige, none of that. The, the, you know, the most beautiful goddess amongst the humans can still suffer with the same things as, you know, the uh, under the bridge river troll, right? It doesn't matter where you think you are. I'm, I'm using sort of like a, like a, uh, like a Grimm's fairy tale kind of mythology here, but right. But a picture the under the river, under the bridge river troll who makes people pay to go across, right? Generally, in those fairy tales, not the most attractive of creatures. <laughs> now, picture like Athena or Hera of the of the, of the Greek gods, right? Somewhere in there, right, is is where everybody's attractiveness lies. It doesn't matter where you think that it is. There is somebody out there who will think you're amazing. If you're going through a breakup, always keep in mind that one person's I never want to see you again is somebody else's I have been looking for you everywhere. I, that is, I, I came up with that quote one time and it, it still gives me chills. That one person's I never want to see you again is somebody else's I have been, I have been looking for you everywhere. Right? It's whatever sadness, whatever depressive state you're getting into, if you lock your identity on that, then even when that person of your dreams shows up, even when that career opportunity of a lifetime shows up, even when you get an A on a test, you won't be able to enjoy it because there will be, and I know this sounds crazy, but there will be like this unconscious thing in your head that says, if I enjoy this, if I find joy from it, if I find happiness in it, then I'm not really sad, I'm not really depressed, but then who am I? Who am I if I'm not sad? Who am I if I'm not depressed? Self-loathing can be so long-term that it becomes a cornerstone of who you are. This attachment to this negative feeling, these, these depressive states, these depressive emotions can cause you to not enjoy things that you would want to. I have seen people at Six Flags Magic Mountain you know, walking around in the all black, you know, pulling the emo. I pulled the emo. I, I wore I wore that kind of stuff in my youth. Walking around doing that. It's almost like even they're on a roller coaster, they're just sitting there stoic. Like, nope, this isn't fun. This sucks. This is stupid. Meanwhile, everybody else is yelling and screaming because it is a, it's a joyful activity. You know you you would find that activity enjoyable if you were doing it. And sitting there and trying to not enjoy it so that you can maintain the identity of sadness and depressed isn't helping. But I get it. It's, it's so much easier to just stay in your comfort zone if that comfort zone has been sadness and depression for so long and you feel like that's who you are. And if you strip that away, now you have to come up with a new identity. And that is the point you're in college. Even when you're out of college, you can always rewrite your identity. I used to be a drunk. I used to be an alcoholic. 
I used to be somebody who would just sit in his room with bottles of booze and wine and, and, and beer and just get hammered day after day after day. I thought when I left college, that behavior would stop. That behavior would go away because I wouldn't be around my social circle. I thought it was my social circle that was causing me to drink that much. It wasn't. It was me. The people I hung out with, I chose specifically because I knew they would drink with me or they would be okay with me getting blasted to. Right? A lot easier to hang out with people who occasionally get blasted because then you can just get smashed. If they're drinking four or five beers, then hell, I can drink 20. I was really good at controlling my drunkenness because I didn't want people to think that I was out of control. They wouldn't want to come around. So I was throwing parties at my house, having a good time. Playing video games, everyone would come over and I'd sit there and just get snookered. The point is, is that I latched my identity onto that so much that when I left college, I was I just thought that's what I did. I, this is what I do. I drink. But then there was no more social circle. And then I had a couple bad experiences in Hollywood. So I was like, well, I can't go out and get drunk. So now I'm just going to stay inside and get drunk. But I wouldn't invite anyone over. I didn't have any friends who wanted to do that. So then I just ended up getting hammered by myself. And before I knew it, I was locked into this sadness and this depressive state. And I'd still leave my house and go to work and I'd go to the gym from time to time. And I, I would get out and I would do things. But th- I just felt this weight of sadness and, de- and depression inside of me. And I just couldn't break through it. It wasn't until I got sober and released the, the, that veil released the blinders I had on me, you know, started to shine light into my shadows, stopped playing victim and started accepting responsibility for my actions that got me to the place I was at. Yes, some people did some things that hurt my feelings. They did, people did some things that traumatized me. I, I certainly have to deal with that. That's on them for doing that. That's their conscious. But how I internalized it and then how I externalized it out into my world was no longer benefiting me. See, every emotion you have comes from a thought. That is a fact. We have forty to 50,000 thoughts a day. Every single thought in its own way will trigger an emotion. Now, these thoughts are coming at you so fast and furious that sometimes it's just it's like blinking your eyes. You don't even realize it's happening. But once in a while, a thought will happen that will trigger an emotion, a feeling, and then that's you get locked in and you start to spiral, spiral around that. I teach and I talk about ways to go back and say, okay, well, this is the feeling that I have. This is the emotion that I'm going through. What is the thought that caused it? And then go back and find out what was the circumstance? What was the event that triggered that thought? In NLP, one of the, one of the main ways that it's useful in our lives is that we figure out, depending on where we're at in, the, in this little wheel, Right, And I've talked about this before. Circumstances trigger thoughts, which cause feelings, which drive actions, which create results. Those results further anchor into our belief system, and the belief system is, is where our thoughts start. So I talk a lot about this, about, and this is what NLP goes in and helps people do. We figure out where you're at. What result did you have that you'd, that you'd like to change? What action got you there? What feeling drove that? What thought caused it? And then go back and find the event. You find the circumstance. And then there's ways that you can just choose to see it differently. This is why some people can go through tremendous tremendously traumatic experiences 
the, the most tremendous that your imagination can think of here. I don't need to start listing them off. Your imagination can think of traumatic experiences, especially if you've gone through them. Right? This is how some people can go through those traumatic experiences and come out the other side as you know, a proponent for the prevention of traumatic experiences like that. How people can come out and they can get a degree and go and, and do um, amazing things because even though those traumatic experiences have happened to them. Meanwhile, other people have that tr- same traumatic experience. Obviously, the experience was different, but you know, the they were still traumatized in a similar way, and yet it it gets locked into them. They anchor themselves onto that and it becomes their identity. And everything they express is through the identity of this traumatic experience happened to me. I can't get over it. This, the, I'm the victim. Somebody did this to me. Woe is me. And now they're locked and now they're spiraling. And now this is what turns somebody in from, a, well, this was a bad experience into now it is a lifelong traumatic experience. When we self-medicate in order to get through these feelings, all we're doing is pushing them down. We're masking them. What we really need to do is heal them. You can meditate. You can, you can do breath work. right? These are things I'm learning about now. Meditation, very, very long term. Somebody recently was telling me that breath work is immediate. and You can watch videos on YouTube about this. If you're in a college environment in a, in a bigger city, maybe even in a smaller city, and you Google breath work, there are people who know about this stuff. There are, there are ways that you can learn about it. I have never Googled this, but I'd be willing to bet if you found somebody doing breath work videos on YouTube, they probably have a breath work seminar or breath work workshop or something that you some video program that you could buy there are ways there's exercise and there's eating healthy and nutrition and this this is what this really this is really what gets me and i googled you know just to see you know um, how college students deal with depression one of the first articles that popped up was called 10 great tips for dealing with depression in college Um, engage in psychotherapy, explore medication options, practice mindfulness exercises, exercises, spend more time in nature, exercise, strengthen your social connections, improve your nutrition, improve your sleep habits, avoid drug and alcohol. Um, Let's see, set healthy boundaries. Yeah, (laughs) no, duh, (laughs) no, duh. Duh is what I say to that. No offense to the person who wrote it. They, it's a it's a great article. It talks about the National Health Line for uh, substance abuse and mental health services being one eight hundred six six two help. There's one eight hundred two seven three talk is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I mentioned that at the beginning. I didn't know there was an acronym to the last four numbers, but now I do. Wait one eight hundred two seven three talk one eight hundred six six two help. But th- but that's the problem with lists like this. It's like, oh, I have severe depression. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I can't figure out how to get out of my own way. I'm I'm a victim, but I had this traumatic experience happen to me. And so I'm just supposed to exercise and go walk around in nature and eat healthier, and everything will be magically better. Things will... Hold on. Let me just stop on that. Things will be magically better. That is not the way that it would work. When you are suffering through deep, deep, deep rooted sadness and depression. When you are suffering so badly that you think that ending your life is the only way out, going and walking in nature and eating healthier and going to the gym while ways to help you move in the right direction are not going to give you those immediate effects 
and those immediate help that you need. Talking through your problems with someone who actually knows how to get into your head with you and go and figure out what is it that you're feeling, what is the thought that created it, and what was the event that triggered it. This is your way out. Events, circumstances, things that happen to you or around you that get seeded into your head, into your unconscious mind. And then for the rest of your life, they will trigger a thought when you see something like it, similar to it, or the exact same thing, however it looks. And then that will cause a feeling. And then that feeling will be what you'll start to spiral around. And then your action will be to sit in your room, listening to sad music, drinking yourself, eating yourself, gambling yourself away. And then the result will be that you'll still be in that deep, deep, deep state of depression. And then it will anchor back up. And the next time something else happens to you, it's going to trigger that same thought or a similar thought that will lead to that same or a similar feeling. And then it just becomes this this self-profitizing loop. Then your confirmation bias starts looking for ways that nobody loves you, that you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough, that you don't belong on this planet, that you aren't an amazing person. No, everybody else is better than me. I'm, I'm worthless. I should never have been here. See, if you were raised that way, if you experienced that as a child, I am sorry. I am sorry that that happened to you. But you can change it now. I once heard an amazing saying that don't let what made you shape you. Your parents made you. They brought you into this earth and then they raised you as well as they knew how. And for some of you, it could have left you with severe amounts of trauma. But you're in charge of healing yourself. Nobody else. Nobody else. Because nobody else, no matter how many positive things I say, if you still have, if it's still running through this negative thought filter, then no matter how much you hear that you're worthy and you're good enough and you're an amazing human, it's still getting sent through this sad, depressive state of mind, through this sad, depressive filter that tells you that you're not. That I'm talking to somebody out there, but I'm sure as hell not talking to you. That's the kind of thing that your mind will trick you into because you've latched your identity onto this depression so much that if you were to release it, you'd have to find a new identity. You'd have to find a new way of dealing with your suffering. Good. Good. Do that. Every single day of your life is a chance to make a change, to choose something different. And while for a lot of us, being stuck in this depressive state can literally start to control our lives, at some point you'll wake up and you'll say, I don't want to do this anymore. And heaven forbid that you don't wake up out of that. And I'll tell you, my dad once told me this in my 20s. He's like, he's like Jesse, you, you drink and do drugs like you, like you hope you're going to die at a young age. He's like, I'm going to tell you what. As a person who's dealt with alcoholics and drug addicts for over 20 years, I'm going to tell you, the ones who want to die the most are the ones who live the longest. And when he told me that, and I'm paraphrasing there, but that's the message I got, what it was was that no matter how much I thought that I was going to die young, I wasn't. And at some point, if I was going to be the best version of myself, then I was going to have to pull my head out of my ass and actually do something with my life. And alcohol and drugs were going to have to be the first thing that I released. There are a ton of us 
who wore the black clothes and 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 walked around depressed as 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 a youth and then as we got older we started to shed that stuff and we replaced it with work uniforms or work suits or whatever it was but deep down inside we still felt that way and so many people don't deal with that and then they go on and they get married and they bring that deep down sadness and depression that they felt in their youth and they bring that with them into their marriage. Then they have children and then they raise their children with that same deep down depression that they felt. Now they're, now that's it's inside them so it's still being exuded out of them. And now their kids are, are their, their kids are sensing it, right? Like we're humans. We have energy. We can feel things. And before you know it, your kid's going through the same stuff. And you're like, but but how? But why? I worked so hard. I provided them with so much. We have a beautiful home, and they have safety and security. They were getting good grades. They had a great idea for what they were going to go to college to do. But now they're 16 years old, and all of a sudden, boom, they're sad, and they wear the dark clothing, and they, they walk around, and they're isolating themselves, and they don't have their friends anymore, and they're hanging out with bad people when they do get social. I don't understand what happened. When you have this unresolved trauma and sadness and depression inside of you, it will exude, it will, it will enter out into the universe from you, through your energy, whether you realize it or not. And from the little things, the little tiny micro you know, expressions that you have. The little, the whenever you say something just impassive, has like a flippant comment about someone. That's the thing that your kid will latch onto. That's the thing your friends will latch onto. That's the things that your mind is latching onto. These little flippant thoughts, feelings, comments that you make about other people or yourself, your mind is hearing all of that and it's recording it. I'm going to get you out of here on this one because I could sit here and talk about this for two hours. I, I teach about it from stage. I have workshops, and, and I've got so much information about this. And it's mainly centered around the people who are in addiction recovery because the idea, when I when I first got sober, I was like, wow, I'm learning all this cool stuff about getting out of my own way and healing my trauma and understanding my mindset and and and, and being sober was so exciting that it's like I didn't ever I still don't ever think that I'll need alcohol or drugs in my life that I'll ever use again because my life is infinitely better without them. So I was like I got to I got to do this I got to get this out there, right? I went to college to be a journalist and a, I've been a DJ and a radio broadcaster and I've done television, so I need to do a podcast and get this out there and this will be amazing. And it is and it's awesome. And then I thought, wow, what if I talked to people who were 18 to 25 in college and I got them to make better decisions so that they wouldn't make the same ones I did and end up as a 43-year-old man in addiction recovery or like everybody else I see in addiction recovery. Right? Like, what if I could talk to them? If I could just get to, through to one of them so that they didn't turn to alcohol and drugs. They went and got themselves a therapist they could connect with. They went and talked deeply and vulnerably about their suffering with their parents, and they, and they cried together, and they healed together. What if just one person could wake up different than I do? What if just one person wouldn't have to go through 22 years of addiction to finally wake up and realize there's a better way? It's why I, I do this show. It's why I wrote my book about the seven power principles because whenever I whenever I center my entire life on those principles and I think about them with through all of my actions, I feel better about myself. I accomplish better things and things go in a better direction. I just want 
everyone to have a chance to know that this information exists. We all have to go through our own ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of life. We, by, by, I thought I had experienced great trauma from 18 to 25, and I had no idea how much trauma was waiting for me down the line. But I wasn't ready to deal with it, so I just sunk deeper and deeper into alcoholism. Knowing how to understand your mind how your thoughts create your feelings, how to get through your trauma. It doesn't mean that you won't have more trauma. It doesn't mean that your life will be perfect and full of rainbows and puppy dogs and unicorns, you know, with rainbows shooting out of their butts. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when the sadness and the traumas and, and, and the painful experiences do occur, that you have better resources to figure out what it is you're feeling, the thoughts that created those, and how to heal through that. And that's what this episode's about, is understanding that there are ways to heal through whatever you're feeling, and that suicide isn't the resolution. There will be people who will be destroyed by the fact that you're gone. There will be people who are destroyed by the fact that you never reached out, and if they had known how much you were suffering, that they would have sat down and they would have talked to you. And if you think that those people don't exist, I swear to you, you're wrong. It may, not be the, it may not be the people you want it to be, but there are people out there who are ready to listen. You don't even have to be on the, on the brink of suicide. It can just be deep, deep, medicated, necessary depression. There are people who know how to connect with you and the people who will listen to you. It could just be sadness. It doesn't matter. There are people out there. It doesn't matter how... It, 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 let me be clear. It doesn't, it's not that sadness doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how... how it doesn't matter the depth of your sadness and depression, right? If you think suicide and depression is a hundred and then sadness is a one, it doesn't matter how deep you think that it is. The fact that you feel it means that you, there's somebody who will listen to you talk about it and help you out of it. It doesn't matter how shallow you think it is. If it's deep enough that it affects you on a regular basis, then it needs to be pulled out. There's a movie called Half-Baked, where Dave Chappelle, the lead character, is addicted to marijuana and he goes to an addiction recovery meeting and he gets up there and he says, I'm addicted to marijuana. And uh, a couple of the characters in the movie get up and be like, you're addicted to some marijuana? You know, and they, they start to mock him. You know, oh, I was addicted to cocaine. That's way worse. <laughs> it's unfortunate that that scene um, as funny as it is, paints a realistic picture where some people think, oh, well, you're only addicted to weed. That's nothing. I'm addicted to cocaine over here. That's way worse. Get the hell out. That's not fair. Everybody has their own addictions. Everybody has their own pain. Everybody has their own thing that they're dealing with. And yours is just as valid as the next person's because you feel it and it's affecting your life and it's holding you back from reaching your potential and experiencing your life the way you were meant to, for you to reach your meant to be. Go out there, find someone. Listen to this episode again if that helps. Listen to some other episodes. Google away. Just understand that sometimes you're going to get some pretty lame answers like spend more time in nature and exercise and strengthen your social connections. These are the obvious ones. And for a lot of people, if they were able to do that, they would never have Googled how to get over depression in college anyways. The only real way to get through all of this, while those things are good, eating right, increasing your social circle, going out, 
doing things, getting out of your own head, getting out of your cocoon, going, being a member of service, like I said earlier. Bottom line is that you're going to have to get in there. You have to dig through all of the baggage, all of the muck and grime that's inside your head. And when you do that and you start to find out what traumatic event caused the thought that, 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 that brought about the feeling. And for some of you, you're going to know right away, well, it was this one experience. Yeah, yeah. But I can guarantee you because of that one experience, many more other traumatic experiences were attached to that or many other, many more experiences that weren't as traumatic and could have been easily just dismissed were all of a sudden latched to that. Well, because this one traumatic experience happened to me, then these other 10 traumatic experiences happened to me. So all because of this one, now, oh, wow, look at all these other ones that happened because of that one. When they may not even be associated at all. Some of these will be shallower you know, events that you'll be able to immediately talk about in 10, 15 minutes, work your way through. Others could take a lifetime. But it's better to spend a lifetime working through your traumas than to spend a lifetime masking them and hiding them with drugs and alcohol and food and gambling and all the other vices that exist and hell, vices that haven't even been invented yet. Ten years ago, smartphones weren't even a thing. And now all of a sudden, our entire society stares at them and has their entire life energy sucked out of them through their eyes. Hiding on your cell phone is going to be the, 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 the next big addiction compared to alcohol and drugs. Go out there. You have a conversation through this show happening. I hope that I've sparked you. I hope that I've given you some ideas. I hope that you realize that attaching your identity to sadness and depression is only going to cause you to spiral deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And yes, at some point you will have to release this identity, right? You don't have to, but I'm telling you, the alternative is... The alternative is tough, and the alternative is sad, and the alternative is continuing down this way. Call the numbers if you need to call the numbers. Right, you're on a you're you're listening to a podcast. You have op, you have obviously you have a telecommunications device near you. Get a hold of one of the suicide depression numbers, whatever it is that you need. Right, whatever it is that you need. I feel compelled to say them again: one eight hundred two seven three talk or one eight hundred six six two help. Whatever it is, we live in an information plethora age now. We're moving into the critical thinking age. We're moving into the emotionally maturing stage of the human species. We have all the information on the planet at our fingertips at any given time. Now it's time to start moving through that and going to the critical thinking age of our, of our existence. Going through the emotional maturation stage where we understand how much our minds control our reality and that we begin to take control of that reality before it swallows us whole. I thank you so much. I'm honored. I do love that you listen to this show every single week. Um, this episode wasn't supposed to go as long as it did, but I just I have so much passion and, and so much um, want to, to help people and I get that I don't have the medical degree and I don't always know the right things to say and that I'm surely just one of 10,000 people that can give this kind of advice. But if I could just reach one of you out there and get you to realize that just 
walk out of your room, get out of your head, be a service, go help someone else and watch how the joy from their face lights you up. And if that person doesn't give you the smile, someone else will. And then go find somebody who you can talk to on a regular basis who you can connect with and start working your way through that trauma. Because the longer you hold on to it and the tighter you squeeze it and the tighter that you make it a part of your identity, then the longer you're going to be locked into this state. And I can assure you, as someone who's over three years in addiction recovery, that releasing this trauma, while it's, I'm, I've got years more, guys, years more. I just learned about breath work, like really heard some amazing stuff about breath work on Saturday. I can't wait to get into it. Three years, I've got probably 20 more years. <laughs> I might have my whole life working on the trauma that happened to me as a child, but I'm fine with that. Because at least whenever I've moved through some of it, it's not like I'm working through it every second of the day, but now I can go to amusement parks and laugh. Now I can go to bowling alleys and have fun. Now I can go to the zoo and enjoy that, even if I don't like the fact that we have to lock animals in cages so that they can exist. At least I can go to the beach and I can enjoy the waves and I can do these things and I can do it alcohol and drug-free and I can enjoy it because my bar for happiness has been skewed for so long because of addiction and depression that I didn't even know what happiness was anymore. And now I do, and it's amazing, and I want you to feel it too. Go out there and do what you need to do so that you can start to feel better than you do today. Thank you so much for listening. I, as always, am I honored. I hope I've said all the right things. I hope that this has resonated with you. I can only imagine the pain that so many of you are going through. And just know that you're not alone, that my generation was told that suicides and depression were overtaking us. Now your generation's being told that. The next generation will be told that. And no one was telling this. No one was thinking about this when World War II vets came back and when Vietnam vets came back and they, and they were all you know, screwed up from the war, war with PTSD. We didn't even understand mental health the way that we do now, and we barely understand it now. Because if we understood it better, we'd be doing more about it instead of arguing about it in Congress about whether it has anything to do with guns. We'd understand that it starts at mental health. I'm not even going to get into the gun debate. That is not what this is about. But what this is about is understanding that it all starts with our mental health. Do something for your mental health today that gives a spark to you. And I promise you, you start adding those things up and you will feel better about yourself. Again, I hope I've said the right things. I hope this resonates with you. It matters so much to me that you are doing things that are healthy for you and that make you a better person every single day. I'm honored to have you. Thank you so much. See you again next week. 